1: follow the case when you are ready, Madam Clerk. It seemed like a task that was virtually impossible. All parties appear both visually and with audio. As courts across America took the law online. It's so much more efficient, I think, and easy, actually. The COVID-19 pandemic prompted one of the most profound technological transformations in the history of American justice. There's no physical danger That can happen in a virtual Zoom courtroom. But not everyone wants to keep it that way. I have no indication whatsoever that the defendant is paying any attention. Anybody who's charged with a crime must have their right to confront witnesses in court. The more we can do in person, the better. On this week's Open Record, we explore the future of Zoom in the courtroom. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Pulson here with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Amanda.
2: Hey, Brian. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, October 13th for release on Thursday, October 14th. This week, we are here once again with Contact 6 investigator Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hi, guys. So Jenna and Brian, you've both been looking into this issue of virtual court hearings from kind of different perspectives. So I want to start with how we got here in the first place. Before March 2020, court hearings in Wisconsin were held exclusively in person. Of course, the pandemic
3: changed that. So what did that look like? So the pandemic really resulted in profound changes to the way court takes place in Wisconsin. Like you mentioned, the pandemic shut down our courthouses and things started to backlog uh, for a lot of different proceedings. And when those courts were essentially shut down for the most part, the Director of State Courts, Randy Koshnick, he responded by ordering Zoom licenses for every judge, clerk's office, court commissioner in the state, and then began the process of training everyone um, of purchasing the equipment to use this Zoom technology to get court up and running again. And Koshnik told me that under normal circumstances, it would probably take years to pilot and develop a video conferencing system like this. And for that reason, he believes this would have happened anyway, and Zoom is here to stay. He believes it provides numerous efficiencies and conveniences to the parties involved. For example, I cover a lot of small claims cases and it used to be you would have to take a good chunk of time out of your day, maybe three or four hours to go to the courtroom and sit in the gallery with dozens of people and sometimes wait an hour or more for your case to be called and then it might be over in 15 minutes. Now you go into a Zoom waiting room and while you're waiting, you can do other things. And a lot of people like that so it doesn't appear that zoom is going anywhere but the question our state courts are now facing is in what situations is zoom appropriate and useful and in which situations is it not and when might it actually violate someone's constitutional rights so the future is probably a hybrid of virtual and non-virtual appearances
1: you know i think of we've talked on this podcast many times about how we never imagined doing news remotely. We never thought it was going to be possible to record a podcast from our own three separate homes, and we figured out a way to do it. But we don't have like rules that go back generations that govern how podcasts should be run or that govern how news should be operated. The Supreme Court has very specific rules for how the courts operate, I just imagine imagine this had to be a monumental challenge to, on a dime, turn this into some sort of a virtual system.
3: I, I think that was the undertaking they were faced with, and they had to they had to overcome it and quickly. And Zoom has been a key part of getting through this pandemic for them. And you mentioned the Supreme Court; they're in the process of coming up with some new rules and and advice for judges that they're trying to bring to the Supreme Court to try to figure out what the guidelines are going to be going forward when the pandemic is over. So I think we're lucky we're at a point where we have technology like this, and it was available to us as reporters and to our court system so that things didn't halt completely for months and months, maybe years, um, I guess it, we're going to see how this continues to move forward with keeping Zoom in place and, and where we're going to con- see its continued use. Well, and so now that we're not in a state of everything
2: being completely shut down, courts are still working through a backlog. And, and Brian, you looked at this issue of Zoom in the courtroom from a security perspective. So how did that come about?
1: Well, actually, that started for me with just uh, a conversation with one um, felony court judge who expressed concerns that they were seeing a real shortage of deputies who work as bailiffs. They do security in the courthouse. And that's just one aspect. Jenna, I know you also talked and I talked to the chief judge, Mary Trigiano who's dealing with all of this at once. And she said the bailiffs is just one element. I mean, there's a shortage of court clerks. There's a shortage of public defenders. There's a shortage of interpreters. And so even coming out of the pandemic, which we're not out of yet, but even coming out of the pandemic, they're dealing with these personnel shortages, which is sort of like a second wave of a crisis. And so I focused on security in part because Without bailiffs, you can't operate the criminal courts because there are security issues. They have to bring inmates, particularly in felony courts, they have to bring inmates from the jail to uh, appear at hearings. And they have to, uh, for trial, dress them in different clothing. They have to be in street clothes. You can't bias a jury by letting them see a defendant in a a jail jumpsuit with handcuffs and flip-flops. They have to actually have someone, a deputy, who's there with them while they change their clothes And then bring them to the courthouse and sit them down. So they need the physical presence of bailiffs just to operate the courts. And in addition to that, you've got this escalation of violence in the city right now where there's a lot of tension. So you go into a courtroom where there's a victim's family and a suspect's family, a defendant's family in the same room there's a lot of tension, especially when you have a lot of the back and forth that's going on on the street. That, of course, brings itself to the courtroom. So there's an added sense of tension in the courtroom, and the judges feel it, and the attorneys feel it, the families feel it. So there's a need to have a presence there. So there's all these needs for security, and yet they have fewer people to do it. So on the one hand, you have a chief judge who would like to get more of these in-person hearings going again. On the other hand, the personnel aren't necessarily there to do that and then you complicate all of that by the fact that we have the Delta variant, which has made a return to full in-person hearings uh, impossible at the moment anyway. So there's a lot at play there and and, and security is just one element of that. But Jenna, I know when you talk to a a panel full of people, uh, stakeholders in this, that's just one piece of the puzzle, right?
3: Right, I mean, we have a lot of positives and negatives of Zoom to consider. And the first positive is the fact I think Mary Trujano said they used to have about 4,500 people a day go through the court system, and they really wanted to reduce that footprint to protect the safety of everybody involved uh, with the coronavirus. So that was their first concern. But there are a lot of other things to consider. You know, When it comes to the positives, there are quite a few. I mean, it does make work more efficient. A public defender we spoke with, Tom Reed, said he can stay at his desk and continue working while waiting to appear in court. And he's already got a full docket. So that work time is actually very valuable to him and he doesn't have to travel to the courthouse. Especially with a public defender shortage. Right. And law enforcement, you mentioned the sheriff's office having staffing issues. Across the state, this eases the burden of having to transport people to and from their appearances. So there's a time savings and a cost savings there. For those who are appearing in court, they may not have to take off work, arrange childcare, or figure out transportation. Not everybody has a car for what may just be a brief procedural hearing. If they can step out of work instead, they'll save money rather than having to take off work. Um, It helps with various shortages, as Brian mentioned, interpreters, public defenders, especially in rural areas and it can reduce the cost of counsel because you're not paying for all that downtime as well. And victim advocates say, They like it because in some cases, victims can observe court and participate in court without having to be in the same room as their perpetrator or worry about them compromising their safety by being followed to their car or something like that. And when we spoke with Randy Koshnick, he also said there's evidence that Zoom is making court more accessible to a lot of people. And he says appearance rates have actually gone up and the number of bench warrants being issued for failure to appear are going down so those are the positives would you like me to go into some of the negatives as well yes
1: well I imagine I imagine there are a lot of them but I do want to just emphasize one of the positives you mentioned because you talked about rural areas and we're in Milwaukee County which has its own set of of circumstances. But I did talk to a, a friend of mine who is a public defender who said for the staffing rural areas with public defenders has been a real challenge in this state. And he said, when you have a procedural hearing like a status conference or a scheduling conference, you have to find someone who can drive three, four hours across the state, sit in court, wait for the case to be called just to be rescheduled and drive back. That's a lot harder than finding someone who can flip on their laptop in their living room and take care of that. So there certainly are some efficiencies, especially in uh, outstate Wisconsin.
3: And I think a lot of the people who work in the court system or appear will say that the pros of Zoom definitely outweigh the cons and they hope that it remains in place, especially for those procedural hearings you mentioned. But there are, Other aspects to consider, there are people who struggle with technology or lack internet access or don't have a strong internet signal. When we spoke with Judge Carl Ashley, he said, with technology, things can go wrong and they do go wrong. Um, And while Zoom can improve access between clients and attorneys, In some cases, it can also make things a lot less personal and that can impact feelings of trust and the relationship between the two. There's also less opportunity for informal communication between a client and their attorney. During a hearing, you'll often see an attorney lean over and speak quietly to their client and say something like, this part's really important or highlight a point or ask them a question. They can't really do that over Zoom. And it can also cut down on unplanned meetings between attorneys, which I found out is actually something they value quite a bit, because when two attorneys run into each other in a courthouse, they can actually chat and work towards settling a case during an unplanned meeting, and apparently that happens quite a bit. There are also some concerns that the formality of court and the seriousness of court is lessened somehow. There might be concerns that you don't have someone's full attention when they're at home. There might be some kids in the house. And there, there also might be concerns that someone might be coerced at home. They, the witness might not be alone in the room. And most importantly, which a lot of officials highlighted during our interviews, there are concerns about infringing on the rights of criminal defendants, especially when it comes to the right to confront witnesses and have jury trials in person. So everybody we spoke with across the board felt that no matter what role zoom plays it does not have a place in jury trials especially for criminal defendants well
2: and another issue that we've covered and it's been a while but it's what do you do when you're streaming zoom live and you know we've we've covered courts basically using youtube to do that they use a zoom through youtube that creates a recording and it was policy. Um, I'm I'm not sure if it still is, but at one point it was um, a, a requirement essentially for judges to delete those recordings when they're done. And then you're running into an open records issue where you're creating a record and then you're deleting it. And there were a lot of people who were upset about that. And we ran into issues where we were trying to watch a hearing over Zoom. There were technical difficulties we kept getting kicked out of it and then the recording was deleted so that process it was it was basically lost so that's that's another challenge especially when you're dealing with technological
1: issues well, and Amanda, you talk about the technology being an issue. Uh, we didn't get to talk about this, Jenna or I, really, in either of the stories we've done so far on this. But Stanford University recently completed a study of three cities looking at how virtual court has worked and what the future of it might be. And they chose Milwaukee County as one of those places. I say three cities, but it was a county. They chose Milwaukee County as one of those three locations because Milwaukee. I thought this was interesting. Precisely because Milwaukee County was so technologically outdated, because we didn't already have much technology in the courtroom. It was very old fashioned. And they said this would be a great case study to look at how it's working there and how they're adapting. And they interviewed a lot of people in the Milwaukee County court system. I think for this study, there were a total of 59 defense attorneys, judges, prosecutors, and other court employees that were interviewed. 21 of them were here in Milwaukee County. And one of the uh, comments that really stood out to me from this was one of those interviewees from milwaukee Uh, it was a judge who talked about trying to operate all of this technology in addition to just addressing the law and he said quote he or she i don't actually know the gender this judge said quote it's like running a dj booth zoom youtube mics are muted feedback and reverb i'm just exhausted eight hours in a disco trying to play all the music I thought that was a really interesting take from a judge who's like, look, I'm not cut out for this. I don't I'm not a technical person. I just want to focus on the law and the case in front of me. And I have to worry about whether the guy at home can hear or whether the attorney we all saw the case where the attorney couldn't get the cat mask off of his face. You know, that one (laughs) way. And I mean, And that was funny, but it was also a sign of the technological hiccups that are making it a challenge to just do the day-to-day business of the court. So that is an issue, the sort of technical challenges. I don't know, Jenna, did you hear some of that from some of the folks you talked to?
3: Well, we heard that it does happen and it is a concern, but overwhelmingly, a lot of the people I spoke with thought that Zoom should definitely still remain for those procedural issues. I think those technological hiccups might be a bigger deal If you had a jury trial, otherwise they can just postpone something or try again another time. You know, you mentioned, you know, that something you weren't able to mention in your report Um, about seven months ago.
1: That's why this podcast is great. (laughs) You can just talk about all sorts of things we couldn't put on TV anyway.
3: Yeah. Well, it's true. Um, About seven months ago, Randy Koshnick put together a committee that was trying to come up with uniform rules and procedures for the continued use of Zoom in the courthouse. And they came up with some proposals to take to the Supreme Court, um, which haven't been passed yet. They're they're working on putting some new recommendations forward. But as part of that process, attorneys, victims' rights groups, um, people across the state wrote in letters to this committee expressing their opinions. And there were a lot of different groups that were saying this has made it so much more accessible for all sorts of people. They were talking about family members who are interested in a case but may live out of the area and can't make it to the courthouse so they can watch those live streams now, which is an option they haven't had before. They talked about victims who might be in the hospital who couldn't appear in court, now can appear from their hospital bed. There were just so many examples of little personal experiences people had where they now had access to the court where before they maybe would have been scared to go or they couldn't have made the trip and they felt like this is actually something that makes it a lot more accessible, even though technology has its hiccups. Across the board, they felt like this was a welcome addition.
1: Well, and that study from Stanford did focus on that question of procedural. Uh, hearings versus substantive hearings. Motion hearings, trials, sentencings, there was uh, almost a uh, a unanimous uh, sense that those should remain in person, but those status conferences, scheduling updates, the minor things that are really more procedural only, um, it makes perfect sense to do something like this because of those efficiencies.
3: Jury trials can be really important because you want to read witness body language. You want to judge whether you think they're genuine in person and you want to make sure the witnesses are free from coercion you know you don't want someone to be at home coaching them on what to say so there's a lot of reasons that protecting the integrity of the jury trial is really important and i actually spoke with a criminal defense attorney for our story who felt that criminal defendants should always have the option to opt out of whatever hearing they want if they want to be in person and opt out of zoom for any hearing they should have that right so that was his opinion other people may say differently, but he felt it should be up to the criminal defendant whether or not they want to appear via Zoom or not.
2: So where does it look like things are going from here? Because right now, if I'm understanding it correctly, we have kind of a a hodgepodge of of Zoom and in-person going on in our court system, and it, it sounds like there are efforts to get some more uniformity, but I mean, realistically, what does that look like?
3: Well, right now, a lot of it's up to the individual judge. They have some guidance, from higher up, but a lot of the time it's up to the individual judge to make the decision whether or not Zoom is appropriate. That's why they're working together to put together these recommendations and get it to the Supreme Court so that they can have some sort of final outcome next year, which would take the effect of law. Um, But really, I mean, it is the judge's courtroom and they will have eventually criteria to consider when they're debating whether or not to use Zoom. But there is some guidance right now. But I mean, we're in new times with new technology, and they want something more specific on the books. But it sounds like Zoom is in use in every courthouse in our state, um, and the vast majority of judges are using it to some extent, but they do have you know, a lot of personal say over whether or not it's happening.
2: Where does that put us in terms of courthouse security?
1: There's so much that's in flux right now in terms of what this is going to look like going forward. And I just spoke yesterday. Uh, well, I guess Tuesday by the time this is published, to Chief Judge Trigiano and and asked her, have you finalized a plan going forward yet? Because they're in budget hearings right now with the county trying to determine what next year is going to look like. And bailiffs court security is just one of those elements. And there is a county supervisor who we've reported on who made uh, the suggestion that the county could cut 40 bailiffs from court security and reassign them to other things if they just did a lot more over Zoom. I mean, why not? It's so efficient. And And Chief Judge Trigiano said, you know, not so fast They're First of all, Cutting forty bailiffs when right now they only have fifty three positions filled would virtually wipe out their court security entirely, but in addition to that, she says the the decision to move forward is uh, is based on a number of complex factors in terms of in person hearings versus virtual. One is the Delta variant. They're still dealing with that. She says that's still the number one impediment to getting people back in person for more of these hearings. It's not just a matter of personnel, although that's another big one. But then the security issue going forward is a question of cost savings versus when is it appropriate to be in person? You've got on the one hand, this county supervisor who says we could save a lot of money on overtime by not having so many bailiffs working overtime to cover court security. On the other hand, uh, and he's saying that if you're virtual, what do you need a bailiff for, right? There's nothing to secure. Um, On the other hand, you have the chief judge saying, well, there are a lot of reasons that Jenna mentioned to be in person. And one we haven't talked about that came up in this study by Stanford University was, The concern that virtual court dehumanizes a defendant, that there is less empathy from a jury or or for maybe even from a judge toward a defendant who you don't see in person, whose body language you don't see, Um, you don't have maybe that that close uh, proximity to see the facial expressions or whatever it may be. But that lack of empathy for the defendant is an issue. The biggest one, though, is a legal one, which is the confrontation clause uh, that says, you know, a defendant has the right to confront their accuser. And that means to confront them in person, to cross examine, to present evidence, um, and, and to see that evidence that's been presented. So those are big challenges to, uh, doing much more in, in terms of those substantive hearings, uh, virtually. But I think as Jenna said, everyone's equipped now to do this. It's really going to be a matter of when they find it, Fits the type of hearing or the type of thing they're doing, and 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 I think there is going to be a push from those other parties to do as much of it as possible because it saves time for the defendants. and And if you imagine, if you are someone who has had anyone who's been a defendant or had a civil hearing or something, where they have had to go to court five or six times because of procedural things, you have to take off of work and you have to find childcare and you have to pay for parking that's a real pain so it's definitely more convenient there's going to be a call for more of this going forward i think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because i don't think there is a definitive plan at this point in time it's it's going to be a hybrid but we don't know what that hybrid is exactly going to look like
2: all right it is time for us to go off the record This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal, have a little more fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. So to ask that question, we welcome executive producer, Sarah Smith. And Sarah, I have to say my script originally said, we have fun by answering a question we have not prepared for. And you and I just had a conversation about ending sentences with prepositions and how that's your least favorite.
0: (laughs) And that um, has me uh, on the lookout for how I read those sentences. (laughs) Yeah, it's it always sounds kind of weird, because then you're like, in which we have not prepared, which doesn't sound, you know, as conversational, but also, like, I see those little dangling guys over there, and anyway, that's a conversation <laughs> for another day.
1: <laughs> I hear one of those alarm sounds going off, and like, grammar, oh. dirt, alert, grammar, dirt, alert, <laughs> or
0: durdler. like...
1: But anyway, no, she's right. Mine
0: would probably be more of a DJ air horn. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> okay, so today's question, now... Uh, I, you know, you all. (laughs)
1: No, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's the wrong one. That's the wrong one. Oh,
0: sorry, sorry. Listen to last week's. Um, So, we don't do this job, and, you know, we're not parents and do our domestic duties for pats on the back, for accolades, and all that stuff. Um, But every once in a while, it's time to kind of self reflect and go, man, I really like this about myself, XYZ. So, today's question is. What is the favorite? What is your favorite thing about yourself? What do you look at and go, Puh, I am very good at this? It doesn't have to be like a task. Like I'm very good at loading the dishwasher, which maybe you are, and that's what you're <laughs> proud of. But <clears throat> I just think every once in a while, and I was recently kind of eye-opened where I'm like, yeah, maybe I should pat myself on the back every once in a while for some things that I'm pretty proud of or, you know maybe personality traits so I'll start because I've been thinking about it a little bit uh, my favorite part of myself is that or favorite thing about me is that I can make people laugh I I'm sometimes I feel like I'm pretty quick to the draw and stuff and when people laugh that makes me happy um, I'm not going to quit my day job for it but I certainly enjoy making people chuckle with you know a joke or a you know how I say something or how I talk to my kids or whatever. Um, so that's my favorite thing. I, I like making people laugh. It makes me feel good. And I like to laugh, too. So
2: that is also my favorite thing about you, Sarah.
0: Wow! No. <laughs> I thought you were going
2: to anyway. steal
1: hers and say, that's my favorite thing about me, too. <laughs> oh, no, no
2: I'm, I'm funny, I'm, too. I'm not, I'm not funny. That is not That is not uh <laughs> I'm very comfortable with that not being a trait that I possess. Um, but people like Sarah have it, so I get to laugh a lot anyway. So
1: this, what is your right. favorite thing about you, Amanda?
2: This, you're stalling so that you don't have to go first.
1: <laughs> hey, you know what? Whatever it takes. This
2: is It's funny because we talk about how, like, you know, working in television news, we all have egos. Otherwise, we'd work for newspapers. So you would think we'd jump at the chance to say wonderful things about ourselves, but... It's sometimes, sometimes that's trickier than the self-critique. I would say, and this, like any quality, can be a double-edged sword, right? But I have a lot of audacity. And I, I like that, you know, I, um, (laughs) and maybe some other people don't, but I, I don't think much about saying, hey, I think we should do this that and the other and this brand new idea and let's jump right into it and um by the way i should be the one to implement this so that's um for better or worse a a trait that i've developed and so far it's served me well so i I think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna go with audacity
1: jenna i'm still stalling you have you have one lined (laughs) up
3: um you know amanda i think i like that about you too by the way oh thank you um I I think you're right. I think it's easier to point out our flaws sometimes than to talk about things we like about each other um, or like about ourselves. But I think, you know, I think I gained a lot from being a middle child growing up and that's where this is coming from. I think that I am not a source of drama. I think I am someone who doesn't take things too seriously and I think it helps when nothing in your life is going to upset you to a great extent other than maybe stuff involving you know your kids your family that's the most important but i think being a middle child has armed me with some skills where if if it, i think it makes you pretty resilient and adaptable you aren't the source of drama you're just you know chugging along doing your best and if something goes wrong well that's okay things go wrong sometimes so i think uh i think that part of me that embodies the middle child is something I like about myself because I I don't tend to go off the edge over things too easily I think I can I think I can move around maneuver things and uh and survive so
2: you're usually pulling the rest of us back from the edge which is much appreciated on the story story. my favorite (laughs) Jenna story by the way is one day And Jenna, I don't know if you remember this. One day Jenna comes into work and she goes, oh, Amanda, our kids go to the same daycare. And she goes, Amanda, your husband just saw me yelling at my kids this morning. I'm so embarrassed. And so I was like, wow, Jenna yelling. Like, I can't really picture that. I go home and I talk to Steve and he starts laughing. And he goes, Jenna was literally just saying, please listen to me. Nope, you're not using your listening ears. Like he said, it was the most calm like rebuke i've ever seen and in no way shape or form was that yelling so i think that that embodies your uh your no drama-ness
3: well maybe he missed it
2: (laughs) (laughs) i don't think he did
1: i don't know i do think that you have a sense of 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 things being more or you being more um uh upset or out of having a loss of control when you are in complete control at least the external view of you is that way.
3: I think that I am like a duck sitting on water where like the feet are moving really fast (laughs) beneath the water, but above the water it actually looks okay. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm moving really fast and I'm working really hard, but hopefully other people don't see it.
1: I think I'm um... an upside down duck then. Like. Not not much is moving under the water, but there's a lot of flailing going on. You're just drowning
2: under there, but those feet. I too am an upside down duck.
0: (laughs) Um, Before Brian goes, can I just say that one of the things that I've learned over all these different questions um, is that Brian has self, you know, has admitted that he will take every second available before he has to be somewhere, do something, a deadline. That's true. And here he is. Waiting until the very last possible second, once again, to answer the question. <laughs> Stalling, well, okay, waiting, you, extending. There are,
1: so there are multiple ways to look at that. One could be that I'm <laughs> allowing others to go first and, and I, I'm taking a back seat. It could also be selfishly that I wanted to think longer um, That's fair. and you decide which one that is. I'll I'll leave that up to listeners. But um, I, w- when you first said this, I didn't know you said favorite thing about ourselves. And the first thing that popped on my mind was like just one thing I like about myself, and this is small, and that was I'm really good at hanging pictures. Like I, I I'm the picture <laughs> hanger in the house. I can make them level. I can space them out, and it engages the mathematical side of my brain that doesn't always get exercised when I'm doing creative work, and so. I I like that, but that's not like my favorite thing about myself. It's not like every day I just want to hang something. Um, But so that was, but then you said favorite thing. So I had to think more deeply. And my favorite, you know, it's it's always hard to say your favorite anything. What's your favorite ice cream? Well, I like, you know, mint chocolate, but I also like, you know, whatever. So... I don't know if this is the favorite. It is one of my favorite things about myself, and that is that I find myself very good in social situations um, because I think I can not only be engaging and, and interesting, but I'm also good at... Finding people, and, and, and this is partly influence of, of my wife, who is very good at this, is finding the, the person at a table, say, who looks like they're left out and finding a way to include them, to engage them, to just ask them something that brings them into the conversation. Because there are some people who won't interact unless they've been engaged. And so I find myself to be pretty good at that. Um, and it maybe that's just because I talk a lot. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, my um, I don't know if you guys re- would know this any of you would have ever heard of it. Do you remember a cartoon, or did you ever hear of a cartoon uh, uh, called Jabber Jaws? No. He was, he was like a shark and he talked constantly and his name was Jabber Jaws and my mom used to call me Jabber Jaws because I talked so much so maybe that helps I'm just comfortable in social situations but I think that has helped me in a lot of ways in, in my life both personally and professionally is that I'm good in social situations meeting new people maybe in an interview putting someone at ease who's really nervous um, I like that about myself and uh, so I don't know if others like that about me or if they're driven crazy by it but you know no, the duck feet are flapping in the air. There's something going on. Hopefully it's interesting.
2: <laughs> I like that about you, and I like being in social situations with you because I'm the opposite, where I lay awake at night going, that was so stupid that you said that. Why are you so awkward, Amanda? <laughs> and so when there is someone like you is clearly at ease in that situation, there is is less pressure, and I'm less likely to say something that's going to keep me up at night dwelling on the fact that I said that.
1: I feel like this segment is going to be recorded and sent off to, like, a, a Fox 6 therapist who's going to <laughs> evaluate, like, our our own versions Flip, of positive and negative and self-talk. Um, no, a great question, Sarah.
3: Yeah. I think our spouses might disagree with some of the things we said. We'll see. Yeah, probably. That's the next.
1: It's like the newlywed game. The next episode is we ask this question of our spouses.
3: I know. I know. Um,
1: I,
2: I don't think on. Steve loves how much audacity I have all of the time. <laughs>
0: And I can tell you for certain that Eric does not think I'm funny. (laughs) Even though I look at him and go, I'm funny. That was funny, right? And he he usually rolls his eyes. He's very good at that.
3: (laughs) John will say, you think you have no drama?
0: (laughs) It's
2: not that you have no drama because you have young children. There's always drama. It's that you are not the source of the drama.
3: I try. I
2: try. We'll see.
3: (laughs) This has
1: been fun, as always, and I will tell you, I'll end the end the, on this note, which is the, just this week, I was in the grocery store passing by, no, it was at F- Fleet Farm, actually, I think, passing by all the candy, and I made a comment, uh, Sarah, to my wife, that Snickers, we passed this, I said, that's the best Halloween candy right there, <laughs> and she said, you're nuts, you're crazy, no, there's peanuts, so yeah. it is just me, apparently, but still loving the Snickers. So send your Snickers to me. We'll uh, send the station address later. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss on open record or an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That's fox6investigators at fox.com.
2: Jenna, thanks for joining us today. We're always happy to see your face. Oh, I'm always happy to see you too. Thanks for having me. And as always, thank you to all the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and of course, Sarah Smith. Always bring in the good questions. Please subscribe to Open Record. If you haven't done that already, you can find it wherever you do your podcast listening. With that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back next week.